Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we, we are grateful of what we have in our hands, Lord, your word. How you communicate your truth to us. How black and white before us, and as we study it, we learn, God, who you are, Lord. How, how, how you've made everything, God. How you love us and you sent your son to die on a cross for us. How all your truths are in you about you, what you want of us, after we're saved, what are we are to do, how we're saved, who we are. God, thank you so much that we have your truth in our hands. And as we study your word today, God, may you make your truth alive. May you open our eyes and our heart and our ears, Lord, to what you want to say and that we would learn today and that it would come into our hearts that we would not, Lord, just, just hear it, but apply it and live it, God. That it would become real for us. That you would change us, Lord, from what, how we walked in. We walk out different, Lord. And we pray for that transformation through your word, through the blood of Jesus and your Holy Spirit, God. So I ask for your anointing right now. And I give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a funny thing how traditionally uh, doctors have really bad handwriting. If you're a doctor, I'm sorry. I'm not and I'm putting you down. But it's just traditional, right? So bad you can't make out what they're saying, right? Well, I came across some answers from actual doctors on why the writing is so bad. This psychiatrist in the U.S. said, because if I, were, if I write neatly, the pharmacist will think my prescription is a forgery. Okay. Uh, this pediatrician in Canada answered this saying, If my handwriting is bad, really illegible, then if I'm ever like subpoenaed, I could always claim and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. This anesthesiologist confessed this. To hide my unbelievably poor spelling. <laughs> An occupational medicine doctor in Australia answered, Well, when I was in primary school, my teacher told me my writing was so bad, I would have to grow up to be a doctor. My fate was sealed. <laughs> and lastly, a general practitioner in Canada joked, uh, you know, about when asked about doctors' bad writing, he said, Well, because if our handwriting was good, Doctors would be truly perfect human beings. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one of the reasons I use this iPad for my sermon notes is my writing is so bad that, that I would need someone up here, gifted interpretation, to tell me what it even says. <laughs> As we return to our study in the book of Daniel, a hand appears from nowhere and writes a message on the wall. And the Babylonian king, nor his advisors, could make it up, could read it, could interpret it. So you know what? Daniel is called in to interpret it, and it's not good. It's about what's coming next, the end of the kingdom. So I've titled our message this morning, The Writing on the Wall. The Writing on the Wall. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 5. Uh, the whole chapter here, our outline this morning is this, the interruption, the interpretation, and number three, the intersection. So let's begin here. The writing on the wall, number one, the interruption, the interruption. Now we're going to be looking at Daniel 5 from verses 1 through 12, but let's take a look at the first four verses. 
Verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. We'll stop there. So we, we, so we begin here with King Belshazzar. Belshazzar. He's the king of Babylon. He's putting on this great feast for all his heads of state. Thousand people are there, the wives, his concubines, all these people. You know what? They're basically partying together. This is one big party, drinking wine, eating, the whole thing. Now understand King Belshazzar, he is the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. You'll see he's mentioned as the father, uh, his father Nebuchadnezzar or the son, but he's actually the, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. 23 years have passed since the last chapter, basically. Nebuchadnezzar had died in 562 B.C. And now at this moment in chapter 5, it is 539 B.C. Belshazzar is the king of Babylon, but actually he's co-ruling with his father, Nabonidus, who is somewhere off fighting some battle, isn't there. But here's Belshazzar throwing this huge party, and he has brought in the vessels of gold and silver, the gold implements that his father, or it says father, but his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, taken out of the Jewish temple years ago. Remember, we, we talked about that back in chapter 1, when Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked Israel, uh, put a siege around Jerusalem, eventually uh, burned down Jerusalem, burned down the temple, and took all these implements back to Babylon, put them in, in the temple of his gods to kind of mock that, hey, I'm more powerful than Israel. So, when Belshazzar asked for those gold cups and implements from the Jewish temple, this was intentionally done. Why? To dishonor the God of Israel. Verse 4 says they use these Jewish implements to praise, right? They praise the gods, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood. You know what? That's the gods of Babylon. They, they, they took the Jewish implements and used that drinking, getting drunk, the whole thing. They said, oh, yeah, praise to our gods as mocking the God of Israel. And that's what they did. This was their way of putting down the gods of other nations and show the power and might and the position of Babylon. So right here we see King Belshazzar throw this giant party. You know what he's doing though? He's basically boosting morale. And he's using with that the Jewish implements to put down this God of Israel and just kind of say, yeah, and all the gods, we're still, we're strong. That's what he's saying. You know why? Understand right at this moment in 539 BC, while they're partying, the Medo-Persian army had laid siege against the city of Babylon. The empire had crumbled. It was not like when Nebuchadnezzar was in power. And even though the city was surrounded by the enemy army, you know what? Belshazzar considered his city safe. You know why? He was confident as he sat inside the massive walls of the city. Remember we talked about that the other day? How, 
how the walls of the city were 350 feet high, 87 feet wide. You could race six chariots side by side on top of the wall. He, he was confident of the wall. He felt safe. Also, Babylon, his city, they had enough supplies stored up the last 20 years. So he's like, yeah, come, whatever, we're okay. Let's, have, let's party here. We're, we're good. We're still strong. And he also knew with that, Babylon actually was built and sat right on the Euphrates River. So, so the siege of the army would never starve him or never be able to you know, thirst him out. Like he always had his water supply. So he has, he's having this party. His, the King Belshazzar's confidence was high, even under siege. He was boosting the morale of his people. He partied intentionally in the face of the Persian army. And he had such confidence to even party with the Jewish implements, and I would say in the face of God, the God of Israel. But right in the middle of all this partying, all this confidence, all this, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of stuff. Look at verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. I almost think God put a spotlight on it. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Can you imagine this scene? They're partying. They're bringing the gold implements. They're just laughing. They're having a good old time. Yeah, we're Babylon. We're strong. Look at all that. And suddenly all the noise stops. All the, everything quiets down. The king can see it. Everyone sees the king's face. And it all stops. And all eyes suddenly see the fingers of a human hand appear and wrote on the plaster wall inside this, this banquet. And not only that, the fingers, but they're connected to the fingers was this hand. And it's, it's this hand just floating in the air. Yeah? A hand and fingers, and it's writing these words on the wall. Freaky, right? No wonder the color of the king's face changed. Probably just went all white like, oh, what, what is that? He was alarmed, or the word there in the Hebrew is terrified. And he fell to the floor. His limbs gave way. He couldn't stand. He was just overwhelmed with this. Well, I'll tell you, this is God's way to stop a party. Yeah. This is the interruption we're heading here. King Belshazzar is stopped in his tracks, in the middle of all his confidence, in the middle of his party, when he sees the writing on the wall. You know what it made me think about? Remember when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on stone tablets? In Exodus 31, 18, the second part, it says, The two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. The original Ten Commandments, God went, and he wrote that. Yeah? It made me think about that God is here writing a special note for Belshazzar. So, look at verse 7. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. 
He was like, whoa, whoa, even more in fear as his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Maybe God, God's really a doctor, yeah. No, just joking. But doesn't this sound familiar, right? Like his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, the king calls in the royal advisors, those, those top head guys, those, those brightest, the, 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 the most smartest guys who should know this. He calls in the astrologers, you know, who read the stars, the enchanters, those are those mediums who speak to spirits, the Chaldeans who are all into this occult stuff, the wise men, they're the philosophers. And he gave them that incentive. You'll be rewarded. You'll be clothed with purple, right? Very expensive clothes, kind of royal clothes. Chain of gold, that was the most expensive necklace you could get back then you'll be promoted third ruler of the kingdom and remember there's there's two co-rulers right now belshazzar and his dad right so you'll be third from the top there but these guys they could not do it even they were perplexed but then look at verse 10 the queen which is actually the queen mother because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father or grandfather, remember King Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods are found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the mu- uh, magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because, verse 12, an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this. And who is this? Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. We'll stop there. So you see, after this failure of the royal advisors, the queen mother caught wind of what, what happened. So she comes in to suggest Daniel, who is famous, who, who everyone knows how he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and vision, right? And we studied those in chapter 2 and in our last chapter. And, and we saw all of, all, all of that. Now, take note. At this time, in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel is about, say, around 85 to 87 years old. It's been 70 years since he was taken into captivity back in chapter 1. So he's, he's an older guy now. Everything, he's, he's probably kind of a young guy. The other guy has been, you know, doing the job and doing all this and stuff. But the queen mother remembers him from way past. And notice her confidence. He will show the interpretation. He will. She knows. And I almost think, well, maybe she's old enough to have experienced all that had happened, all that we have seen with Nebuchadnezzar firsthand. So the queen remembered and pointed to Daniel. Do you remember when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in interpreting his first dream in Daniel 2, 27, 28, he said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is, maybe she was there. That's what I thought. Maybe she heard those words. Maybe she saw it happen. That's why she said, This guy, he, he, he's connected to, to that holy God of Israel. He, he, he knows. I mean, this is what he said. I remember seeing all this happen. So the queen brought the solution, which was way beyond 
everyone in that room, and especially the king. And here's what I want you guys to see here. The king's confidence was broken by this strange and dramatic experience so that he had to look beyond himself. This phenomenon that happened, the king's, it broke his confidence. He was good. He was happy. He's partying like, hey, we're going to be okay. Like nothing's happening outside the city. But his confidence was broken when this hand, this writing on the wall happened, this strange and dramatic experience, phenomenon, so that he, he had to look beyond himself. He, he, he tried. The advisors, they couldn't do it. And, and then the queen comes in. Hey, there's a guy here. They had to look beyond themselves. You know what I see? The king came to the end of his confidence and had to get help. He had to get help. You know, I was thinking about this. I read about this Florida woman who came to learn. Uh, this might gross you out. But a cockroach had crawled in her ear while she was sleeping. She felt something and took a cotton swab and pulled it out. And she said there were legs. She called her husband over. And the husband was there with a flashlight and tweezers. And he got two more legs out. But, but, but he couldn't do any more. So she had to get help. I mean, oh my God, you got it. You can't let that live there, right? So she went to emergency. <clears throat> and the doctors over there... Uh, what they said, they, they got the entire cockroach, in, in the article said, in three pieces. But nine days later, she was still experiencing pain, and she, she was at her primary care doctor, and he found another leg, and more pieces of the roach were flushed out of her ear. But, you know, you've got to be worried when the doctor sends you immediately to the ENT specialist, the eyes, nose, throat, right? Finally, he was able to really get in there, extract the head, the upper torso, antenna, and more legs. Gross, huh? Crazy. Well, you can imagine this strange experience changed her life. She now sleeps with earplugs. <laughs> I guess she lives in Florida, and she, she was saying they, they, they have exterminator come, you know, like every few months or whatever, but I think it comes every week now, you know, I would do that, you know. Well, that freaky experience would, would, you know, you think, well, maybe a husband could do it or I could do it. But you know what? She had to get help. It was beyond herself. I was thinking, whoa, that's way beyond. That's crazy. Well, that was Belshazzar. He had a freaky experience. It was beyond himself. He couldn't do it himself. And it took this strange and dramatic handwriting on the wall to get him to break his confidence, to come to that place of confidence, of breaking that confidence and look beyond himself is there something stopping you right in your track yeah some strange thing could it be god is trying to say something to you right now i mean think about it this way what i just shared earlier you know look at all the unusual things going on in the world today i mean not just the coronavirus but our weather it's crazy, yeah. It's not like usual. Uh, uh, the world is turning around. We see animals doing strange things I see in the news. Strange things are happening. Perhaps God is trying to grab our attention. Perhaps God is trying to bring us to the place to tell us, you are not in control, you know. You think you're, you're in control, but you're not. You put confidence that you're in control, that you have things together. 
But the truth is, you don't. You know, I've seen in my own life when I'm too confident in myself, my abilities, and you know what it does? It blinds me to the Lord. It blinds me to who He is and what He wants to do in my life. And then He has to do something really radical, right? Beyond my control, beyond my strength, beyond my finances, right? Beyond what I can take care of so that I would finally stop looking at me and wake up to the fact that I am need God are you going through something is there some strange things been happening lately maybe some of this phenomenon stuff is like kind of getting to you and getting worried you know and and I, I try and comfort you say hey be encouraged Jesus is coming but at the same time could it be that God is is trying to wake us up to the fact that hey I'm here I want to help you I want to warn you as we're going to see here Things are coming around the corner. Let go. Surrender. Well, let's go on. Here's the interruption. Let's go on to number two, the interpretation. Or, um, yeah, the interpretation. We see the writing on the wall here. That was the interruption. And now the interpretation about the writing on the wall. Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to cover 13 through 28, I believe. 29. So, the interpretation from verse 13 through 17, first of all. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Now, understand when he says one of the exiles of Judah, he's not like patting him on the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're one of those, you know, people of God. You gotta No, he's putting him down. He just drank from the cup from their Jewish temple, right? So he's kind of putting him down, deriding him, showing him, I'm in power, I'm the guy, right? Verse 14, I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding, excellent wisdom are found in you. You know, it's gone around, you're famous. Now the wise men and enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But, verse 16, I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, you, Daniel's not into the offer. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel's like, Look, you can keep your gifts, give the rewards to someone else. But I'm going to give you the interpretation anyway. But before he does, he's, he's giving him something in this next section. You know what? It's like he's saying, but understand this first. Look at verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. We're going to go back in time here, Belshazzar. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. That was the Lord who gave him that power. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. He conquered all these nations. Remember, Babylon is a world empire, right? At that time, he, he, he was the king of the world at that time. And it was God. Verse 20. But 
when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt what? Proudly he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven among, verse 21, the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over. Over, sets over it whom he will. We know that story, right? That's what we just studied in the last two weeks, right? This is the last chapter. We know all of that. So David's like, do you remember that? Understand this. First of all, do you remember all of this? Remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather? Well, here's the problem. Verse 22. And you, his son or grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. What's he saying? He's saying, you're being just like your, 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 your grandpa was before he was humble. And then look at the end of verse 22. Though you knew this, you know it, you know the stories, you know what happened. It's very clear to you. You're not in the dark about all this and what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar when he got all proud. Verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And here's how the vessel of his house have been brought in before you and you and your Lord, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, desecrated it, not respected the God of Israel. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, your gods, the Babylonian idols, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. The Lord God, the Creator, the God of Israel, the true God, you have dishonored Him by this act. This was like the last straw, He's saying. You know what's heavy to me is, notice again in verse 22, you knew this. That's pretty heavy. Daniel's like, this is something that you're not hearing for the first time. You knew all this. You knew what your grandpa went through. But you still chose to not deal with that pride inside of you. So you can tell the news that's coming up probably not going to be too good. Warren Wiersbe had said many times, those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. He never learned from the mistakes of his grandpa. He never took that to heart. He knew it. He heard it. He knows about everything. The whole family, I believe, knows it. So what's the interpretation? Verse 24. Then, from his presence, Daniel's going on, from God, this hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. This is the writing on the wall. And God sent this message to you because of you being so proud, using the implements. You knew this. You did nothing. Verse 25, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Some commentators believe that, well, maybe it was scribed there and it was hard to read, so the advisors couldn't uh, really uh, uh, be able to read what the words were uh, because these words are Aramaic and they would know Aramaic. Some commentators are saying, well, maybe they know these words but they don't know what it means like like what, what, what does this mean man i mean it tickle i mean what does this mean for the king here well daniel tells them this is verse 26 the interpretation of the matter first of all mene 
means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Mene means counted or numbered. And it, saying it twice, mene, mene, really emphasizes this, that, hey, the kingdom days are numbered. It's going to end. It's coming to an end. Then, tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Tekel means weighed or assessed. So the king's actions, what he's doing, uh, how he's been dishonoring God, have been, his, his life had been weighed in God's scale and has come up wanting or short. And then Paris is uh, your kingdom is divided. Um, uh, your kingdom has been divided or parson uh, is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So parson or some translations p- puts it, uh, you parson means divided. The kingdom will be divided. The Babylonian kingdom will fall and be divided up into the area of the Medes and portions. So this is the interpretation of the writing of the wall. This is the message to Belshazzar. You're numbered, you're numbered, weighed and found short, and the kingdom will be divided. You're going to lose it. You know what's interesting here in this interpretation is, to me, is that there's no word about, hey, you know, if you repent now, you can keep the kingdom. You know, it, it, it can go on, you know, longer. Things will be okay. It's not like how in the last chapter Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4.27, Hey, king, you know, listen to my counsel. Let it be acceptable. Break off your sins, you know, by practicing righteousness. Um, uh, break off your iniquity, showing mercy to uh, the oppressed that, you know what, perhaps there might be a lengthening of your prosperity, of your success, of, of, of your position there. Nothing like this here. Nothing at all. Well, with that, you would think Belshazzar would fall on his face, cry out for mercy, plead for mercy. Daniel, talk to your God. I'll change. Oh, but look at verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold put around his neck, and a proclamation was made with him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. He just does what he said. Okay, I'll reward you. There's no talk about, oh, you know, help me. Oh, I'm going to, re- you know, repent here. There's nothing of that. He just kind of keeps, goes on. Uh, maybe the party kept going on. I don't know, you know. He just does what he says, gives Daniel his reward. And Daniel, I think Daniel just accepts it. He didn't complain because he knows what's coming. These things mean nothing, you know. The kingdom's going to end. Why did Belshazzar respond like this? Why didn't he just repent and humble himself? I don't know. Maybe he didn't believe Daniel. Maybe it's like, yeah, right. Yeah, that was with my grandfather. But, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not my grandfather. I'm me, yeah. Maybe he didn't take it seriously. I think that's part of it. Maybe he didn't want to repent or humble himself. Maybe he was too drunk to care. Maybe he thought he had lots of time. Get the wall. Get my food supply. Okay, yeah, ah, we'll see. You know, we'll see. You know what? I think the root of all of this was Belshazzar's heart was so hard that the word didn't penetrate because he chose not to listen long, long ago. He knew this, right? He knew the story. He knew what happened. 
I was thinking about how God warned the prophet Ezekiel about the spiritual state of Israel. Uh, right at the beginning of his calling, Ezekiel 3.7, this is the NLT, the Lord, the Lord told Ezekiel, But the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are, are hard-hearted and stubborn. I think that's Belshazzar. He has become hard-hearted. And so here is Belshazzar. And this is what I want you to see. Since the king never responded to God's dealings before, he didn't do anything with this message. Think about that. He knew. But since the king never responded to God's dealings before, that's how God deals with Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't do anything with this message now. He was hard-hearted already. You know, my life is busy. It's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm glad of all you servants and guys helping me and, and, and my wife. And, you know, my, my, my life is busy, busy. There's a lot of things I have to do almost every day. And, and it's, I don't know about you guys. I've been talking to some of you guys. But isn't it hard, especially as we get older, to remember everything, you know? I feel like if, if I got to do something, I put it in my head. Something else falls out and I forget about that thing, yeah? So praise the Lord. We have calendars and to-do lists and agendas on our phones, you know. I, I, I thank God for my calendar here. I, I mean, this is like my brain now, you know, kind of tells me and reminds me of things. And this is my personal assistant so I can set up reminders and alerts to my meetings. And, oh, I got to call this person. I put it in my calendar and an alert comes on, you know, your phone or something. And uh, just just this uh, for my birthday, I, uh, my my mother gave me money and I had Christmas money and money saved up and my kids gave me money. So I got a, 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 a um, Apple Watch now. And now I can get it here. It's like, oh, no, I don't need no phone. I can, oh, okay, yeah, thank you, you know, kind of thing. So I'm so happy for that. I'm so glad because I can easily forget things with so many things to do, you know. And so there was this one thing I, I wanted to do is post some old guitar pedals, these electronic things on Craigslist that I wasn't, using so i kept forgetting oh yeah i gotta do that oh yeah i meant to do that oh yeah so i put a note in my calendar and an alert you know came up for me to do it monday morning you know take those pictures you know go online and and fill in an ad and a price and post it up on craigslist well monday came the alert came on and i decided you know what uh, i i can't do it right now so i'm gonna move that calendar alert to tuesday well then tuesday came and I thought, oh, I can't do it. I pushed it off to Thursday. Thursday came. Oh, I don't have time to take the pictures, do that little write-up on the ad. So, you know, I'm going to push it off to Monday the next week. So I moved it to the next Monday. Monday came. I was really tired from the weekend, so I pushed it to Tuesday again. And then I thought, you know, this is crazy. I'm just, I don't know if you know on your calendar, you can, you can put that so it repeats, you know, certain times, once a week or once a month. So I thought, I'm just going to put it for every day. <laughs> and I'll get it in there, right? So, you know, from Tuesday, you know, came on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day, Saturday, Sunday, even everything. I thought, no, I'm going to, you know, it'll keep reminding me until I do it and it'll, it'll bother me. I know it'll just, it'll just annoy me, so I'll get it done. So the, so the alert pops up, right? And, 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 and you know what? You can snooze it, you know, or you can dismiss it. And then my mind goes, well, it'll come up tomorrow. <laughs> the next day, Thursday, it, it came up. Oh, I'll just dismiss it. It'll come up tomorrow. 
And so in my mind, I, I already set myself up for failure because I knew all I need to do is dismiss. It's just going to come up the next day. And it kept popping up and kept popping up. And you know what, pretty soon I was just ignoring it. And you know what? I didn't do anything. <laughs> That's Belshazzar, you guys. He knows the story about his grandpa. He's heard it over and over. His family probably talks about it. It's probably one of those stories they talk about when they get together in family gatherings. He pushed it for another time. He pushed it for another day to think about it. He knows it. Maybe it got to a point, he's like, here we go again. Here we go. Dad's talking about Grandpa again. Yeah, that story. Walk, you know, five blocks in the snow and all this stuff. And, and I understand that. I think I have some stories I start talking about. And my kid's are like, we know that already, Dad. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. That, this is Belcher's like, he knew it. He's heard the story. He knows what happened. He knows what's going on. The alerts come on, and he just says, dismiss. And so here's Daniel bringing up the story again. And what? He checks out again of what he's always been doing. His heart was hardened, even though this was the, the Lord. This was urgency from God that he needs, that something's going to happen, that you got to watch out. How about you today? Are you like Belshazzar? You hear something interesting, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm, yeah, I like that, you know. But then maybe the speaker or you're reading your Bible and gets to something about something the Lord has been working on your heart about some sin or something that you've got to change, you've got to repent, you've got to take care of this or that. And you go, oh yeah, I heard that before. Suddenly, dismiss. I'll get it later, you know. You know, each time you do that, your heart gets harder and harder. Maybe there was a time when you... The Holy Spirit was speaking to you. The conviction was on your heart. Getting, he got your attention. He's, he's, he was doing something like you never experienced before. And you're like, wow, God is here. Wow, he's speaking to me. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yet you ignored it and said, you know, I'll take care of this another day. You know, I'll, 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 I'll work on this, you know, next week. Next Sunday when I come to church, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I've done that, you guys. We all do that. We'll ignore things. Sometimes we're overwhelmed maybe with it. Maybe because it's calling us to surrender something, something in your life that you're having a hard time, but God is saying, hey, if you do that, you're going to find freedom, you're going to find joy, you're going to find peace like you never, never experienced before. But yet we're like, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I know it's hard. Maybe what you have to do is painful. Yeah. I don't like pain. I don't like to do that. So you push it aside. Maybe, perhaps, God is calling you to, to, you know, we all have things in our life that the Lord wants to, like, put to death our fleshly things, right? Whether it's, it's a specific little thing, you know, or, you know, God's been really working on me on, on some things that, the way I treat my wife in a certain area. I was like, I can't do that. That's, that's the flesh. I can't allow that and think, oh, it's okay no more. You know? We all have areas like that in our relationships or your work or whatever that is. Your relationship with God, maybe he's calling you to spend more time. You know? Yeah, 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 but you don't. But you know that's right. And, 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 and so you know what God is trying to do? God is trying to say, look, here's this thing I want you to work on. 
you, you have it over here, right? Like, it's all right. I'll work on it later. I'm okay with myself to not do this thing. God is saying, here's a line here. This is my line. I want you to move that over to this, this side of the line where it's wrong and where you need to make the choice to make a change. That's what God does. But you know what? Sometimes what we do is God tells us that. We don't listen. We start getting hard into it. And God says, the line's here. But, but what we've done is we've moved the line here. God's line is here, but we move it here so that, no, it's okay. It's okay. But I'll tell you what happens. Other things that are on, on this line, we move the line even farther away and farther away. And all of a sudden, you have a whole set of things that, I'm okay. You know in the back of your mind, in your heart, it's wrong. You know it. But you, you put this line, and you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm okay with myself. That's Belshazzar. I know what happened back then. I'm okay. I'm all right with this. Ah, Daniel, you're bringing up the same thing again. I hear, I've heard that before. Yeah. God is calling us. Take those things. Redraw that line to where God wants it. Yeah. Don't keep hitting dismiss or snooze on your calendar. But deal with those specific things that God is working on in your life. That's how we grow. That's how we find true freedom, peace, joy, and our relationship and love for God grows even more. Well, let's finish up here. Number three, the intersection. We've seen the writing on the wall, the interruption, the interpretation, and now the intersection. Daniel chapter 5, the last two verses here, 30 and 31. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean or Babylonian king, was killed. And verse 31, Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. All right, so that very night, the same night, the writing on the wall, the hand appeared and wrote on the wall. The same night, Daniel came and interpreted everything. That same night, Belshazzar was killed in this invasion from Darius the Mede. He's the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. He came in. He took over the king. He received the kingdom. And now the Medo-Persian Empire took over as the world power. That was the last night. This was October 12th. 539 B.C. Remember the head of gold? We saw in the vision chapter 2, right? The head of gold, this was the moment, was replaced by the arms and chest of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire. This was a sad end of the Babylonian Empire. This is, this is I call the intersection where prophecy came true to real life. Where what was said to Belshazzar came true true that very night this is that intersection we know from history that well the city was under siege right belshazzar really was too overconfident rested on false security right on all these things the medo-persian army though what they did they positioned themselves half on the north half on the south uh they couldn't get through the high walls and all of that but you know what they did the soldiers on the north they dug a canal 
diverted the Euphrates River into this, this lake. When the water receded, they were able to go under the, the sluice gates, get into the city, and then the other side too, the army on the other side, they went in and captured the whole city, killed Belshazzar, took the city. The word of God came to pass. Here's the last point I want you to see. What God said happened even though the king refused to listen and respond. What God said happened even though the king refused to listen and respond. God's going to do what he says. Time is going to go on. What, what he's prophesied, it's going to happen. Despite we believe it, despite we respond to it, despite that, God is going to do what he says. And sadly, this is what happened and what happened to Belshazzar. Makes me think, you know, on April 12, 1914, the HMS Titanic sank. We know the story, right? Colliding into the iceberg. Tragically, more than 1,500 passengers died, you know. I think there's 2,200-something people overall. You know, over half passed. The Titanic at that time was the largest man-made moving object in the world. It was the most luxurious ship the world had ever known. It was a floating palace loaded with amenities, a five-star hotel on the sea. Never before had anyone seen anything like that. The Titanic really was a symbol, everything man could achieve. And you know the movie and the stories that that even the, the makers and those who funded it boasted God himself could not sink this ship. And you know what? Sadly, when it was announced the ship was sinking, many didn't believe. Some of them didn't put their life jackets on. Some of them didn't take it seriously. Ah, it's just a drill. One woman who was rescued reported that people who were on the deck were actually getting pieces of ice from the iceberg and throwing them around and even putting it into their drinks like this was a joke. That's Belshazzar. He's like these on the Titanic, not thinking about how close it was to the end. Of Babylon. He should have cried out for mercy. He should have cried out to God. Listen, you guys, Jesus Christ is coming soon. And, and I'm sharing these things because I want you to know if you think things are going to keep going as it's not. I've never seen so many signs like this ever before in my life as a Christian. And, and from the beginning, Pastor Chuck would talk about these end time prophecies and things. But today, it, it's never been like this. You know, I hope things keep going. I hope so. I hope we get more years. I hope we get four more years, you know, you know, of grace so we can share Jesus with more people and bring Christ to people so we can grow more and know Jesus in a deeper way. But we know only God knows the day and the hour, right? But the signs are on the wall, so to speak. The writing is on the wall, so to speak. We see it in the news every day. Don't think. Don't let your heart get so hard-hearted that you think it, there's still time. Let me close with this. There's a fable told about Satan and his demons. Satan was having conversation with them, and he asked them, How can we destroy the souls of men? One of the demons said, I will tell them that there is no God. Satan answered, That will never do because creation testifies to a creator. Man innately knows there is a God. A second demon piped up and said, I will tell them there's no heaven. 
Satan replied, no, that won't work either since Jesus was raised from the dead. Men believe in heaven. A third demon said, I will tell them there is no hell. Satan responded, your plan will not work because Jesus made it plain. There is a hell. The fourth came up with this idea. I will tell them that there is no hurry to make their life right with God. And you know what Satan cried out? That will do. Go do that. That's Satan's strategy. That's what Belshazzar thought. That's what he was blind to. That's what Satan wants to do. With the writing on the wall, whatever God is speaking to you about, that writing that maybe you've been delaying or thinking, well, I have time. I don't have to deal with that. Don't be deaf to what God is saying. Don't be fooled. Pay attention and see it for what it is. God's message to you and me, you guys. We have to see this writing, the writing on the wall. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to you right now, and Lord, you've been speaking so deeply and so much, and as we come to God this time, at the end of our, our study, Lord, you've been, you've been exercising, you've been convicting us, you've been going deep into our hearts, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that we would respond, God, in those deep areas, Lord. God, I know you have in my own heart, and you've been, God, even in this message, I've been thinking about a lot of things, and I pray that we would all think, and we would all be serious in what your Holy Spirit is prompting us in. God, may we repent. May we see that, that yes, the end is coming, but God, you love us. You want to work in us. You want to free us from our flesh and sins that we're still habitually in. You want to give us a life of joy and peace in you, a relationship where we see your strength and your Holy Spirit living fully, God, experiencing the fullness of God in us. But it's our sins and it's these things that, Lord, that keep us from that real life. So, Lord, help us today. Whatever those issues are, God, the sins, the habits, Lord, places we allow the flesh to live, God, unforgiveness, bitterness, Lord, anger, hate, complaining, Lord, being judgmental, God, lustful thoughts, Lord, sinful attitudes, things that are not of you nor your Holy Spirit, God, change us right now. God, you called us to be holy like you are. You called us to grow in sanctification. And Lord, some of us has just gone to a certain point and stopped and we're okay. But Lord, you're saying it's not okay. It's not okay not just because what we're doing to ourselves, but it's not okay because God, you have so much more, so much more you want to bless us with and help us with. So today, Lord, we want to make this commitment to you and and, God, and, and, and Lord, I pray you move upon our hearts by your spirit right now. See our hearts, God, as we surrender all to you. In your name, Jesus. As our eyes are closed right now and our hearts are bowed before the Lord, you know, I'm going to call you to action again, Lord, all of you guys, as God is, the Lord God sees you. 
as we've been doing the past few weeks, I'm going to call you again as God's been speaking to you, no matter if you want to receive the Lord for the first time, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you've been backslidden, maybe you want to recommit your life, maybe, maybe it's just been a hard week for you spiritually and you've fallen, or maybe you've been struggling things for years and now you see, I want you to stand up right where you're at. Stand up, show the Lord that, God, no more, I'm going to listen. I see the writing on the wall. I want you to stand up. God sees you standing as a confession of your sin, of your lack, of your failure, of your being deaf and, and, and not listening to him. So stand up right now and tell the Lord, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I want to live for you. I surrender these things to you. I want to repent of my sin. I want to repent of the, my flesh of what I've been doing. And I want you to stand right now. Maybe you've been struggling, struggling with this darkness you've been kind of feeling in your heart. and It's like a cloud. and You've been short with people, irritable. You, you, it's like this darkness. And, and, and you know it's what it's from. It's from giving into the flesh. You know that certain area that you've allowed and it's brought in this darkness. Perhaps you've been struggling with a certain sin and, and, and over and over you're trying, but you fail over and over. But, but you just, you get up, you fall down, get up, fall down, you're getting so frustrated, you're giving up already. I want you to stand and know God, even if it's standing again, you know what? God wants to help you and be with you right now. I really believe the Lord wants to change us and transform us right now in this very moment we have before we go to change us forever that we really walk out of here as changed people. Please stand. Lord, I pray for those who are standing right now. My hands go out as if my hands are laying, Lord, upon them. Church, put your hands out too. And as we all lay hands, God, on those who have stood, God, we pray for them. We love them, God. No shame in this. Lord, we, we, we pray and, and we ask with all of our heart and compassion that you would help them, that you would love on them, that you would strengthen them, that you pull out those, the roots of these weeds that have popped up in the heart, God, that you would transform them by the power of your Spirit right now. That walking out of here, they would feel that freedom in you, God. That as they confess their sins, Lord, as you forgive them and your blood washes over them, that they would feel that freedom and that peace that comes from that, Lord. God, I pray that you give them ability, Lord. I pray that you would go with them. They feel your presence, Lord. I pray that your joy would flood their hearts right now because, Jesus, you are here. You love us. You want us Lord, and I pray for all of us right now, God, that you would protect us from the evil one. I, I, I feel there's a lot of spiritual warfare that's been going on. And Lord, you are the winner, God. You have risen from the dead. You are the conqueror, Lord. And the enemy cannot do nothing, Lord. So I pray, God, and there's power in prayer, and there's power of the Lord right now upon 
each and every one of you. All of us is here right now, I feel it. So, Lord, that your power protect us from the spiritual battles and the enemy wants to destroy, tear us down, divide us, Lord. Thank you for your power, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're here right now. You're moving. You're changing. You're here. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Let's all stand.